So uh, now it's time to turn our attention to today's message. And uh, our scripture reading is very short. It's from Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. So uh, we've just started uh, what will be a long series, several months, on Jesus' famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And um, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, there's this list of eight uh, beatitudes. A beatitude is a beautiful word, uh, and the beatitudes taken together are uh, given as a portrait of what a holy, happy life looks like according to Jesus. And so far, a holy, happy heart means that you are poor in spirit, that you mourn, and now this week that you are meek. Now, these don't sound like happy attributes at first blush, but when we possess them, according to Jesus, they are a sign that we are winning, that we are flourishing, that we are living out the fullness of what it means to be a human being created in the image of God. And so, in Greco-Roman society, especially in the first century, meekness was considered to be an attribute of losers. Outside of the New Testament, where meekness is presented as a positive thing, the word meek or meekness was always used in Greek literature as a derogatory insult because theirs was a bravado culture. People respected you to the degree that they were afraid of you. They respected you to the degree that they discerned that you were on top of the food chain, that you were self-assertive, that you were macho. So it was a bravado culture that resembled Nietzsche's hero that he called the Ubermensch or the, uh, the Superman, the, the rugged, brash, overbearing, domineering winner. And the governing principle of the Ubermensch's life, according to Nietzsche, was what he called the will to power. It was this sort of Darwinian approach to life, that, 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 that the strong survive and, and, and that the strong flourish and that the strong eat and dominate and rule over the weak. But then Jesus says that the ideal in the kingdom of God is actually the opposite, that the true supermen and superwomen, the truly great ones, are the ones who see the world like little children do. I love what Tim Keller wrote about the Advent season. Here's a little excerpt from what he wrote. 2,000 years ago, there was a little stable that contained something in it bigger than the world, and that any heart, the simplest, the filthiest, the feeblest, can also have in it something bigger than the world, something that really satisfies. And part of this thing that every human heart can hold that's bigger than the world is meekness. So to, to drill down on, on this particular beatitude, we're going to consider the infected ego, we're going to consider the beauty of meekness, and then we're going to consider the child. So, 
First of all, consider the infected ego. So, meekness is actually the opposite of a universal human sickness that we know as pride. Aristotle referred to it as hubris. And and pride or hubris is the reason why small-feeling people act big. Philippians chapter 2, Paul refers to this as vain conceit. The Greek terminology for that is kenodoxa, which means empty glory. When the human heart feels emptied of glory, the human heart attempts to compensate by some form of boasting or, or acting like a big shot. What that means is that, 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 that those of us who experience an emptiness of glory are needy, needy for attention, needy for applause, needy for recognition. So, so when C.S. Lewis talked about pride, which is the, the opposite of meekness, he said that pride doesn't get any pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. Pride is the pleasure of being above all the rest. And then he goes on to say, once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone also. So one of my favorite Saturday Night Live skits is the one about Penelope. You guys know Penelope, you know, played by Kirsten Wig, and, and, and it, it, it pictures her in, in conversations with, with other people who are just having normal conversations, and, and she's always looking for opportunities as she nervously strokes her hair to one-up whoever else is talking. And so, if somebody says, I like the Muppets, Penelope responds, I know all of the Muppets personally. If somebody says, I had a good salad today for lunch, Penelope says, well, I have a salad bar in my car. If somebody talks about, starts talking about their summer home in the Hamptons, Penelope responds, well, my summer home is on Jupiter. Somebody says they're proud of their children, Penelope says, well, I have six children who spoke 44 languages before they were born. Somebody says that their hobby is kayaking, and Penelope says, well, I invented the kayak. So, and and, and so, you you Saturday Night Live people, you've seen the skit. Uh, it's, It's hilarious. It's funny. We relate to it because she's a portrait on some levels of us and of why we might be prone to one-up somebody else, why we might be prone to look at certain occasions as opportunity to redirect everybody's attention toward us. You know, as the image of God, as people having been created in the image of God, we're hardwired, and this is the good aspect, we're hardwired to, to actually be esteemed, to be applauded, to be recognized. I mean, it's right there in the eighth psalm that human beings are the crown of God's creation, that God has made human beings just a little bit less than God or a little bit less than the angels, whatever your translation says. But the point is, if you're made in the image of God, there's a greatness in you that's inherent 
because of the image of God in you. And this is why children, this is, this is why it's built into children to, to, to always, you know, be submitting a request or, or a demand to the people around them to watch. You know, watch me swing. Watch me run fast. Watch me draw. Watch me take a nap. By itself, there's nothing wrong with this. There's actually something inherently beautiful about celebrating attention and desiring and receiving attention and recognition from others. But where it gets broken is when the ego gets infected. When the ego, like a a sore tendon, becomes sore. You know, this, this desire for esteem and applause and recognition becomes infected when we start to compete for attention. And, 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 and when we become the kinds of people who are only self-referential in conversations, like the Groucho Marx skit where he's going on and on about himself and, and he stops himself and he says, I'm so sorry, how insensitive of me. I've been talking on and on and on about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? And so it goes. And what does this look like for us? You know, when somebody else succeeds, experiences good fortune, gets recognition, you know, the emotional effect when the ego is bruised, when the ego is wounded, when it's infected like a tendon, when somebody else gets recognition, when somebody else gets attention and applause, it has this emotional effect on us that feels something like a personal criticism, or it feels like somehow we have been slighted if somebody else gets attention. That's, that's, a, that's a symptom of, of an infected ego. You know, maybe one of the most vivid pictures of this is in 1 Samuel 18, right after, you know, the young David slays Goliath in, in 1 Samuel 17, the big, you know, giant from uh, among the Philistines. And as soon as David slays Goliath, the women of Israel start to sing a song, and the lyrics start off like this. King Saul has slain his thousands. And, you know, if you're King Saul and you, and you hear that lyric, you're thinking, hey, you know, the women of Israel, very impressed with me. They, they actually composed a song about me. They actually wrote lyrics about me. How honoring, how wonderful this attention that I'm receiving. But then the next lyric goes, and David, Saul has slain his thousands, and David has slain his tens of thousands. Immediately, that, 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 that line that was initially a praise is now an insult. Because in comparison, in comparison, David, they're singing about his ten thousands. And it said from that point on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David, and it galled him. It, it made him feel bitter inside. The praise of David was, was as if it was a personal insult to Saul. Because Saul wanted it all to be about Saul. This is what the inflamed ego does. It's like an inflamed foot. You know, the foot never draws attention to itself unless it's hurting, unless there's tendonitis or, you know, bunions or, you know, whatever, whatever the foot diseases are, right? So when we moved to Nashville four, four and a half years ago, 
Um, you know, I, we were used to the pedestrian way of life. Like we walked everywhere in New York. You hardly ever get in a car. But we got here. I'm like, I got to find a place to walk. And, and boom, there's all these, you know, wonderful, lovely parks and per, the Percy Warner parks. And so I started pounding the trails four, four or five times a week. And, and you know, when you're, you're, when you're on the trails at Percy Warner, you're, you're going to step on rocks, you're going to step on roots. And it didn't take long for me to develop tendonitis in both of my feet. It took, it took over two years for the tendonitis to go away. I never thought about my feet. My feet never drew attention to themselves until they got inflamed. And then all I could think about all day long was my feet because they, they hurt and the pain drew attention to them constantly. And that's what the infected ego does. Like, a, like an unhealthy foot, the unhealthy ego demands attention. But the healthy foot like the healthy ego, is meek. It doesn't draw attention to itself. What does a healthy foot do? It fulfills its purpose. It stands. It walks. It runs. It happily and quietly supports the rest of the body unless it gets inflamed. Consider the infected ego. And then consider the beauty of meekness. So, Meekness is the opposite of self-absorption. It's the opposite of self-centeredness. So, um, David Brooks from the New York Times wrote, wrote a book uh, a year or two ago called The Road to Character. And here's uh, an excerpt from, uh, I believe it's from that book, and um, it's about humility or meekness. And he, he says that, that this attribute, this, this beatitude attribute is a form of awareness from the context of other-centeredness. It's having an accurate assessment of your own nature. It's having an accurate assessment of your own place in the cosmos. It's an awareness that you are an underdog in the struggle against your own sins. It's, an under, it's understanding yourself in the context of a greater divine order, knowing that you are not the center of the universe and that you need redemptive assistance to complete your tasks, it's a self-awareness in the context of other-centeredness. And so, so meekness, because there is a security, remember we, we, we've gotten here through two other Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. We recognize that we come to God with empty hands, but He comes to us with full hands and gives us everything that we need. In, 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 for, in His forgiveness and in, 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 in clothing us with His righteousness and beauty, and he, he places a benediction, a good word over us, and declares His favor on us. Well done, good and faithful servant, before we do anything good, and, good or bad, because He credits us with everything that Jesus came and did. And then, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are grieved by their sin. Blessed are those who grieve by their demands, by their own demands of independence from God because of how deeply and desperately we need God, and because of an awareness that every time we sin against the law of God, there's something deeper that's happening. We're sinning against the love of God, the one whose love is stronger than death, the one whose love will never let us go. And so there's a grief, there's a mourning. So when we have that awareness, when we have that consciousness, it provides us with an emotional wealth to, to enter into what you could call an honest self-evaluation. And, and when we honestly self 
evaluate, and, and we even see that our, our flaws and weaknesses and sins are exposed, there's still an emotional fullness and an inner security and wealth because nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ and because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So, so, so that frees us to turn outward. See, meek people... You always sense that they're thinking more about you than they're thinking about themselves when, when you're having, you know, a social interaction with them. Meek people are humble, they're kind, they're approachable, they're non-threatening. They're the kinds of people that you want to have as a friend. These are the people that you reach out to when you're in a bind. These are the people that you go to for counsel. These are the people that, that when you're with them, you, you, you sense that they're interested in you. You like them, and you want to be like them. There's something about them that makes you want to be a better human being. So, um, just several weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we, we, we had uh, a memorial service in, in this sanctuary, and every seat was full. There were about 1,600 or so people here for Ben Ellis. Ben Ellis was a, was a, was a teacher and a, a very meek man of God. Flew under the radar. Wonderful friend. And, you know, as is usually the case at memorial services, there, there were several anecdotes that were, were shared by personal friends and family members about Ben. And one person got up uh, and, and started telling a story about how he and Ben and a few other dads uh, took their boys out on a, an outdoor camping trip, and the weather conditions were not very good, and so the boys all started whining, and then they kept whining, and they, they kept complaining, and then one of the dads you know, stood up and, and said, okay, boys, and he gave sort of his uh, Shakespearean St. Crispin's, you know, speech, right? And, 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 and said, look, we are going to take the tiger by the tail. We, we are not going to allow this, this weather and, and the, these, these challenging conditions to, to, you know, inhibit our joy. We're all going to be like eagles, and we're going to soar through this experience. That's what we're going to be. We're going to be eagles, and Ben inches over quietly to, to this other dad and says, what if I'm not an eagle? What if some people are made to be eagles and, and other people like me are made to be more like a bluebird? Because the bluebird sort of quietly goes from place to place and person to person and creature to creature, offers a quiet song of encouragement, and then moves on to the next creature to offer another quiet song of encouragement. And that's what, that was a great description of Ben's life. Like he wasn't the flashy guy. He flew under the radar, but if you knew, to, to be known by Ben was to be loved by him. And so later on in the service, another person got up and said, to a room full of 1,600 people, if you have ever been personally pursued by Ben, will you please raise your hand? And almost every hand in the room went up because of the bluebird 
who had flown in and, in and out of, of moments to offer encouragement, a quiet song of encouragement. And so this memorial service, uh, you, you may remember this, it, it, was a very, it became a very public thing. You know, came on the heels of, of a video of Ben, you know, singing out of his window while he was on, you know, respirators and other, you know, machinery sustaining his life. He was singing with, with several of his, hundreds of his students who had, had come to sing, you know, with him from his yard. And somebody got that on video and, and it went viral and, 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 and tens of millions of people ended up watching it. It ended up being on national TV. You know, one of our church members, Samantha Fisher, was the one who covered the story locally and then it got, you know, the attention of the national media and then it, 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 the, it was covered, I think, on, you know, Today Show or Good Morning America. I can't remember which one. Um, and then most recently at the CMAs when Tim McGraw sang the song, Always Be Humble and Kind, uh, if you watch that, there were, there were about 50 people behind Tim McGraw holding candles. And those were the friends and family of Ben Ellis that Ben had invited to, or that, 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 that Tim had invited to stand behind him as he sang Always Be Humble and Kind, or Always Stay Humble and Kind at the Country Music Awards. And so this whole story sort of taken together presses us to ask, doesn't it? Who says nice guys finish last? Who says that, that, that kindness and meekness are vices instead of virtues? Who says, who would dare say that meekness makes you a loser and being a, an ubermensch, a Nietzschean superman makes you a winner? Aim at meekness, Jesus is saying, and you'll get greatness thrown in. Aim at greatness, and you get neither. You, know, you can be a bluebird without being an eagle, but you can't be a true eagle without being a bluebird. In the end, it's the bluebirds who become the true eagles. It's right there in Isaiah 40. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. So Robert Dabney put it this way, pride is the vulture, but meekness is the eagle soaring into the upper sky yet never judging itself to have risen high because its eye is fixed upon the distant sun. If you want meekness, your eyes have to be fixed, not on a distant sun, but on a sun who came near, on a sun who became flesh, and made his dwelling among us, full of grace and truth. And also, in his first coming at least, full of meekness. You know, Christ is going to come again, and he's going to come as more than an eagle. You know, there's going to be no mistaking who the Superman is when Christ comes again. But when he comes first, he comes in the strength of meekness which presses us finally to consider the child. You know, the Jewish 
vision at that time of, of who their Messiah would be. He would be a political figure, a dominant Superman who would put Israel's enemies in their place and rule the world through coercive power. But he came first as a bluebird. You know, Spurgeon put it this way, Jesus stoops to conquer. He wins by losing. You know, Jesus became small in order to make us great. He was born, remember this? He was born outdoors with the animals because his, his teenage mother and father, dealing with their unexpected pregnancy announced by the Holy Spirit, could not afford an indoor space to give birth to their son. Now, he was rich, but he became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. He became empty so that we would become full. He was despised so that we would become beloved in the sight of God. He was rejected so that we would, would receive his embrace. He became unglorious so that we would become the, the glorious crown of God's creation. He lost all favor and applause and recognition so that we would receive the applause and favor and recognition of God. You know, in a couple of weeks, um, on December 18th, our, our, our sermon text is going to be the Magnific Magnificat from uh, Luke chapter 1, which is the song of Mary, the, 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 the humble, meek, teenage mother of Jesus. When, 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 when it's announced to her that she's going to be carrying the Son of God, she says this from her place of meekness, my soul magnifies the Lord. He has looked on to the humble state of his servant, but from now on, all generations will be blessed through me. The nice girl, the meek one, finishes first. You know, funerals can help us they help me. Funerals are, are a time of clarity for me. They're a time of perspective, and I, I've had the privilege of being invited into, um, you know, a, a large share of, of, of funerals and, and, and of, of, of homegoing experiences by virtue of what my, my work is, and, and it's always an unspeakable privilege because funerals can help us maybe like nothing else can. As we, as we consider somebody's death, and especially as we consider a life well-lived, I don't know about you, but I tend to walk away from, from most funerals feeling uh, this deep desire and longing to be a better man. That was certainly the effect of, of Ben's funeral on me. That song, though, always stay humble and kind. You know, these are really inspiring lyrics that, that call us to a, a higher standard, but these lyrics alone, if we're all honest, they're not enough to get the job done. You know, the invitation to be meek, the invitation to stay humble and kind is not enough for a sustainable meekness. 
We need the death of a bluebird to reflect on and to give us perspective, to make us want time and time again to be better men and better women. But we, we don't only need the example. We need a filling. We need a nourishing, like what's offered to us at this table as we remember his death together. So as we remember the death of Jesus here in a moment at the Lord's table, can I ask for a show of hands, if any of you has ever been personally pursued by Jesus, will you please raise your hand right now? It's a lot of people. The Lord's table is a sign of the Lord's pursuit. The 18th Psalm, David prays from a place of meekness these words to the Lord. Lord, you have given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand supported me. And, and catch this last part. Your meekness, Lord, is what has made me great. Your bluebirdness is what nourishes me and strengthens me to mount up with wings like an eagle. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me?